In recent years, a football team that plays in the city by the bay has been fogged in. But this year, the skies have brightened. The 49ers were becoming the surprise story of 1981. And at the halfway point of the season, they were 6-2. and two. And probably the most excited person in the whole deal was Bill Walsh. I think he thought this could be something special, turning from that bad to that good that fast. Running backs are Patton and Easley. The handoff given to Easley, cutting in, trying to get in. He is, and the 49ers have regained the lead here in Pittsburgh. Getting out of there with a win, that to me was the true turning point. Everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the 49ers Paradise Podcast Show. Thank you all once again for tuning in. This week's show is unsponsored, but we've got a special surprise because I'm joined by Indiana Jim and DC Niner, also known as Nick. Thank you guys for helping to put together this show and for helping with the past couple of weeks. Really uh, putting, putting together some great work there, so I really appreciate that. I know the fans out there have really impre- appreciated the feedback also, so thank you guys for that. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> also wanted to thank everybody who's uh, passed on some great feedback about the new look on 49ers Paradise. That's been uh, a long time coming, and uh, certainly a lot of great work's gone into it. So thanks to everyone who's helped to make that possible over the years. Just a reminder to everybody that you can call into the show. There are local numbers from uh, throughout the world. You just click on the phone link on the top right-hand corner of the main page of 49ers Paradise. Okay, 49er fans, thank you all for uh, sticking with us. As I mentioned earlier, I'm here with Jim and Nick, and uh, we're going to have a bit of a roundtable discussion today, try something different in the podcast. Uh, I do apologize that some of this will probably sound a little bit rough, because it's the first time the three of us have uh, tried to conference this one out and have a bit of a roundtable. Hopefully we won't jump down each each other's throats and we'll bring something valuable to the conversation. I think we're going to start the uh, conversation with Nick backtracking on his uh, JTO comments because uh, (laughs) if anybody uh, deserves a bit of a break and if uh, anybody deserves a bit of an apology, I think it's JTO after the performance that he put up uh, this past week. Do you take your crow with ketchup or ranch dressing? Yes. I'm sorry, JTO. I I was just going by the numbers and on the numbers you, you look like crap, but... Now, you know, you won a game for us, and hopefully you'll win another one, or else I'll be right back on your... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, it was, that's fantastic. You know, 106.4, uh, a touchdown, 321 yards, back in the 300 club. You know, and no, I, I I think there, there might be a lesson in all of this. Uh, for for those of you who might have followed uh, Pragmath and his uh, helpful selection and analysis of Alex Smith, we there might wait, be wait, something wait. in who? this about uh, focusing a little too much on the numbers. Pra- pra- what? What was that again? You want you want to try that name again? Yeah, Parag Marate. Ah. Wow, your pronunciation is way better than mine. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Jeez, it makes you wonder how many times I was saying Grady instead of Ratay. Or what what was that that Montagna fellow? (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That Brett Favre, man, what a jet he is. (laughs) 
So let's get back to this whole uh, JTO Sullivan and uh, his performance. The 300, uh, 300 plus yards, just fantastic. I think we've seen uh, a lot of great things from him, and I think a lot of us are hoping it's not an anomaly but the norm. I know I've been critical of him. I've also, you know, picked out some of his his good moments, but uh, this was a performance I don't think we've seen since well. Jeff Garcia days when he he managed to almost single-handedly beat the Giants. Yeah, you know, Um, that's the one guy that he reminded me the most of. I know some people said Steve Young, but I was really thinking more Jeff Garcia uh, by the look of things because Steve Young was a little more athletic, you know. Um, Garcia was a little more scrappy. So I think O'Sullivan, you know, he really needs to grow the beard back, number one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he can uh, complete that scrappy look. But, uh, you know, that that's who he reminded me the most of. And, uh, you know, you probably guys know this already. The last time a 49er quarterback threw for over 300 yards was Tim Rattay in 04. And the last time a 49er quarterback did it on the road, that was Garcia in 2003. Uh, 344, I think, against either the Cardinals or the Bucks, but I can't remember. But, yeah. you know, if anybody has a reason to eat crow that should be me because you know really um i kind of gave nick the courage to step up and criticize jto because i had been <laughs> railed on for you know wishing him uh wishing him ill uh <laughs> in his performances but you know when they played the bears and he made that one throw on the sideline to jason hill you know he actually set his feet and threw it i was like that that's exactly the throw he needed to make to to cement his position and you know i thought he earned the job i didn't know how long he'd keep it um fortunately or unfortunately uh for him alex smith uh is not a threat for for this season or um perhaps any season down the road for the 49ers so you know it, kind of our our hopes are now resting with O'Sullivan and for him to come out 321 yards against the Seahawks on the road taking eight sacks and still you know 65% whatever you know that he, he's he's got my support from here on out Don't yeah I, I was oh go ahead there Nick um the the way his contract I've read a couple things about the way his contract set up for the end of the season say he does do well right mm-hmm. we can't re-sign him till free agency starts or until the season ends. I don't remember which one it is. It's, uh, I, I think I think we can re-sign him during the season, but we cannot re-sign him once once the season's over. We have to wait until free agency would start. I believe is that's that right? how it works. I, th- I thought it, I thought it, we we couldn't re-sign him until free agency because he was supposedly had a clause where he could, you know, seek a position elsewhere, but. You know, that brings up the great Mike Nolan question, you know, what's going to happen after the season? If if Mike Mars can create a big turnaround on this team, you know, we've got guys in place that can handle the defense. And, and in my opinion, it, you know, if it comes down to Mars leaving or Nolan leaving, I'm taking Mars in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even blink twice. Yeah. <laughs> You're not the Yorks. Okay. I mean, keep in mind who we're dealing with here. Like, this is this is the thing is that, my question is, where does J.T. O'Sullivan's loyalty lie, with Martz or with the Niners? And if Martz gets a head coaching job somewhere else and says, you will be my starter, mm-hmm. okay, I, I, I wonder to myself if J.T.O. goes, okay, am I going to stay here with a new offensive coordinator 
or am I gonna am I gonna go with the guy who just proved me to be a star? Yeah, again, I think it's no, a no-brainer. Uh, I think JTO is uh, very much a system guy. Uh, he might turn out to be a better quarterback than that and develop into something that that can survive outside of a Mart system. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's all about his system, and uh, he'll go where Marts goes. And well, that's you know, why keeping Marts is going to be absolutely the most important move of pe- this coming offseason. People have said, you know, throughout the years that Montana was no more than a, a system quarterback. You know, he really didn't have that rocket arm, say, of, a, of an Elway or a Marino. Um, but, you know, the West Coast offense was just well-suited to him. And, sure, I, I don't think O'Sullivan is the guy to to play the, you know, the Marino or the Elway type of uh, offense, and maybe he's better suited to a March or a West Coast. But speaking of the Yorks, you know, they want to build a stadium. And if they want to get a stadium built, they have to display some sort of continuity on this team. And, you know, Mike Nolan, yeah, he's been around. You know, he had three years, three very subpar years. And some of that can be attributed to, you know, coordinators leaving him in the lurch. But, you know, we can see in his philosophy the same philosophy that the Yorks fired Mariucci over, which was the, you know, kind of the timid playing not to lose sort of thing that Mariucci kind of got known for there at the end of his tenure. And they want to build a stadium. Uh, Jed is going to be the owner. I think he follows more in his uncle's footsteps than his father's, certainly. And, you know, they've had success building uh, the Penguins uh, and, of course, in the past with with the Niners here anyway. So I think when it comes down to it, I know Jed likes Mike Nolan, but, you know, this is the first real glimpse of success we've seen. And if they want that to continue, Mike Nolan's not the guy to to, to bring it about because if March leaves... We're searching for another offensive coordinator, and they just they do not want to put themselves in that position again. And quarterback. And quarterback. So, yeah. New quarterback, new survive. offensive coordinator. And uh, at the end of the day, like like you mentioned before, that we have the, the defensive talent to, to just keep going on the coordinator position, keep Minuski in place, or, you know, let, let another guy from the defense step up and, you know, Mm-hmm. We're off to the races. But, but there was something interesting. You know, Mayoko has, has made the point that he doesn't think, if, if Nolan left during the season, he doesn't think it would be Marts. He thinks it would be either Mineski or Singletary. I think it would be Singletary if that, if that were the choice. You know, Marts even said at the beginning that he likes running the offense. And if, if he really feels like he would rather just focus on running the offense, being a coach and not being an administrator, there's a chance, you know, he's getting older. He could maybe feel like finishing his career here i don't know you know that's that's the unknown factor but you know it like you said i wouldn't think twice about it yeah sing and singletary would be the guy i think in that situation if it was a, a mid-season thing for sure um to go to uh, well, just he's because he's <laughs> he's so hardcore football yeah and uh he he would be able to to turn a team around if that was the case and, and bring a different level of excitement and enthusiasm into the locker room, which is what, what you need in that type of a situation. Hopefully it won't come down to that, I, I would hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't see... I mean, if if they if they have a losing record of the bye, I can't see keeping Nolan around, because what is he doing now? I mean, what is he doing to win games for the team or to, to inspire confidence in the team? I mean, he essentially played a prevent defense 
against a broken passing game. Yeah. This last, he essentially told his entire defense, uh, "We're gonna, we're gonna take it easy because I don't really trust you guys." I, I, that's what I, that's how I felt about it. And he kept one of the team's best defensive players oh off the field for an entire game. It's that... it's unheard of oh. in keeping Manny Lawson off the field. I, I know Manny Lawson plays the strong outside, but if you're going to play a 4-2, you're going to play a nickel, you want your speed guys out there. You're telling me that Manny Lawson is not an upgrade over Spikes and Ulbrich? And, and that he's not faster than them, too? <clears throat> oh, good lord. The guy can cover any tight end. In the Did, league, except maybe was, Vernon. Was, was he not the guy who shut down Tony Gonzalez, or was I dreaming for that? Uh, you must right. be dreaming. <laughs> well, it's that whole jump. The the whole uh, I guess they call it the jumbo package, right? The 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 or the what, what do they call it? Big with the extra safety in. Yeah. Okay. Right. Manny Lawson could have played that extra safety <laughs> easily. Yeah. It would have been the same thing. Well, yeah. you know, still it. it going to say it didn't exactly kill us. You know, if Frank Gore doesn't lose the ball and give up that touchdown early, you know, it could be could have been a, a more lopsided margin in a game that didn't need to go to overtime. You know, Hasselbeck... But by the same token, I mean, the, 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 the one ball that popped into Patrick Willis's hands mm-hmm. and he happened to run like a running back the rest of the way down the field, it, it really was a very close game, in, in my opinion. Yeah. And that... Full- that, that Full the turnovers went, yeah. The the, the the turnovers went both ways. It wasn't as if uh, the the Seahawks had a lot of bad breaks compared to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of pass interference calls in the end zone against them, which could have gone both ways there too. Uh, one of them was picked off completely. So yeah, but by yeah. the same token, it, it wasn't as though it was a bad pass. You know, Walt Harris made a great move on the play, um, and you know, in the end, Hasselbeck fifty percent passing, two interceptions. I mean. As far as shutting down the passing game, it worked, but in allowing the running game to just gouge us up the middle, that wasn't too good. You know, and I can see Mike Nolan's point. You know, he doesn't want to keep subbing his guys in and out because if they spend half the game running off the field, you know, on and off the field, they're going to get tired even quicker. So it's kind of a back and forth thing. I don't like the approach. You know, I think maybe we could have called one or two more extra safety blitzes, <laughs> if you know what I mean, but. Um, work, yeah. Just for, I, we, when we're getting O'Sullivan's getting sacked eight times, and we get hassled back once on a safety blitz after a minute and a half left in the game. It, I I just don't like the approach. I'm I'm just hopeful that since it's not the Seahawks coming up in further action, you know, maybe Nolan will change the approach a little bit. Yeah, and I I, I find it very hard to believe that Manny Lawson went wouldn't have been able to eliminate their tight end from the equation or or in the worst case, you know, help out in zone on a receiver just if put they him got on the field. stuck on the field with him. Yeah, I don't care about scheme. Just put the guy on the field. Yeah. It's, right. You know, somebody made made the point that, you know, we, we've had trouble with the Nolan staff adjusting at halftime or adjusting during the game. Mm-hmm. And here we are, you know, four receivers out uh, for the Seahawks a week in advance and it seems like we still couldn't adjust to to what they were going to be doing mm. so uh, well and 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 the thing is you you take a team like that a team that you that who who doesn't really want to have to pass and you make them pass and there was the the pressure while it was there on some plays you know if you don't continuously pressure you, I mean I bet you this is a game I think we could have had six interceptions if there was consistent pressure 
Um, because I pretty much I have the faith in Nate Clements and Walt Harris and even Sean Spencer to match up pretty well man mm-hmm. with those receivers. Yeah. Right. So you could have spared that extra guy. I just didn't see the point. That, and that's the thing is that if it has no point, well, try something else. Well, yeah, you know? and maybe maybe Nolan sees, sees you know the injured receivers and goes, oh, we can really shut down the pass. Well, that's not the point. <laughs> the pass is shutting itself down. Shut down the run. You know, it's, we have a hard enough time covering the run anyway. And right. you know, like, Very true. like you say, talking about trust, you're not trusting Nate Clements and Walt Harris to shut down. I mean, guys who were digging ditches in the off season. You know what? <laughs> It's true, and and then you strangle Justin Smith too. His best asset is how versatile he is, and there he is playing defensive end the entire game. No different looks for the offense. I mean, you're talking about a veteran quarterback here. Give him a different look every once in a while. Come on. Yeah, and, and yeah. this this goes right back to Mike Nolan's double speak. You know, he he's always talking about oh, we want to have our best players on the field. Yet Manny Lawson is sitting on the bench. You know, oh well, Manny Lawson doesn't play that position. I mean, it just the guy is just a moron, and I can't. I just can't take it anymore. <laughs> I, I, I seem to remember. I, I seem to remember a game where uh, Julian Peterson played every defensive position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did, defensive line did that linebacker. Come through okay, or is there? Uh... <laughs> no, that 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 worked. It was again. Oh, I thought it was against the Seahawks too, but. Yeah, it was against the Seahawks, if memory serves, and uh, he, he's not the only guy who's done that before, so you got to wonder. Maybe well, Manny Lawson could have uh, helped out a little bit in a few different situations. Mike Nolan seemed to have lost his mind somewhere around, I don't know, the, the Seattle road game last year. You know, uh, I think... I think Nick might actually argue that Mike Nolan lost his mind well before he ever came to the 49ers. <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, if you take a look, the let's see, the, his first big gig, the, the big gig that matters is the, I mean, if you think about it, the Super Bowl champion Ravens who went the year before he got there. I mean, he really hasn't done much. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been to some playoff games, but he hasn't taken anything all the way. And with the Ravens, he wasn't in charge of getting most of the, the, the amazing players that, that got them to that Super Bowl, and he kind of just bled that team down to mediocrity and then left, right. you know? He, he really did. He took, he took a team that was a Super Bowl winner, and they won 10-6. and six. They were 10-6 and six the next season, I believe. Well, and it literally, it just got worse and worse and worse because he's vanilla. I, I mean, being from the, the Washington, D.C. area, when he was a coach here, everybody hated him. Yeah. I mean, they hated the guy because they would lose games where they, they their defense, the Redskins' defense, would outmatch the offense. Yeah. And and it was just a matter of the scheme. Mm-hmm. He plays careful. If you, don't, if you don't play the way he plays, I mean, this is the thing, is that two weeks in a row, sustained drives in the second half, eating up the clock, okay? That, to me, this is, this is where we had a chance, uh, the Niners had a chance to make the score lopsided. Stop those drives! I mean, it was. It felt like it was seventy plays long. And it comes you know, down to stop just the like run. against Arizona. Do you, Do you think a blitz might have helped stop those drives? <laughs> no, five I, or six blitzes. I, I think dropping know? a safety and adding a linebacker might have helped. I, I'm hoping we go to a, a three and eight <laughs> formation this coming week. Actually, 
but right. Oh God! Forget it. All the talk they were doing about Justin Smith, just put him as the, the as the nose tackle, and then everything else is safeties because we could play them all. We have what twelve? We have twelve <laughs> yeah. defensive back. Well, I, so. I I actually heard he's planning on keeping his best players on the field, and Patrick Willis will be the water boy for the coming week. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! He also talks about having playing the three four, having three guys who can occupy blockers, so the linebackers can get through the gaps. Well, the linebackers can't through, get through the gaps if you only got two. <laughs> yeah, that that works if if your nose tackle actually holds his ground. Ever. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I, th- I think Kentuan Balmer may be seeing more action <laughs> sooner than later. I'm yeah, telling you. And if we, if we want to talk time. positives, we can focus on Mike Nolan's ability to speak like a coach. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, I, I've seen good coaches. <laughs> I've seen high school coaches that talk better than that say more with fewer words than than Mike Nolan has thoughts in his head. It, you know, a guy like Mike Holmgren, you know, he gets up there. You respect Mike Holmgren, you know, and, and not just because he comes from from the family. You know, you respect a guy say like, oh, I don't know, Jim Mora even. Let's get back to this Mike Holmgren thing for a second. Even thing, Bill Parcells. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted wanted to bring up his name a, a little bit earlier, actually, so it's great that we're back here on, on Holmgren, and we were talking about what, what's happening next year with Martz and so on and so forth. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are some rumors there have been for a while about Holmgren coming to San Francisco, and his contract is up next year. Everybody knows he's leaving Seattle next year. We know he likes San Francisco. Uh, we know he's pledged to take some time off, but uh, could he come back into Bill Parcells' like position for the 49ers? Well, you know, it's it's interesting what what happens to these guys that that take the time off. You know, and Bill Cower said he was going to take a year off. Everybody said he would be back in coaching. You know, in 2008, and lo and behold, he enjoys being on TV. God knows why. Um, I mean, just look at that face. But uh, <laughs> Holmgren, you know, he's He's sixty or older, you know, or older. Um, He's sixty, actually. Sixty, right on sixty. Okay, Um, you know, I could see him coaching again for a while because I I think once you're a coach, you know, you're always a coach until either your health gets in the way or you just you're just too tired. And I I think Holmgren still has a lot of energy to coach, but you know. as a GM slash coach, his coaching suffered, but I think his general managing skills worked. Uh, and plus, with you know, with Scott McLuhan, you know, Scott McLuhan would have to take a demotion um, unless he really wanted to work for Mike Holmgren. Um, so I, I just don't know. It, it's too up in the air. I think. Well, the well, two obviously do have a relationship going going back, and uh, uh, you know we. We can think back to when Bill Walsh was was running the show. There was always John McVeigh in the background, and and the two were a dynamite twosome. And although John didn't get uh, anywhere near the recognition that Bill did uh, without him, things would have been a lot a lot harder on the team. Yeah. Well, also keep in mind, like like we said earlier, he's sixty. He's told his family in in a couple different. In a couple different articles, he's told us that he's told his family he'd take at least a year off. Okay. Yeah. So say he takes that year off. He's sixty-one. Um, he 
he was when he got hired with the Seahawks, he was the executive vice president, general manager, and head coach, right? And in 2002, he stepped down from everything but head coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Do you? I don't get the impression he likes that general manager stuff that much compared to to the coaching, you know? Because otherwise, he would have quit then. If he says, "I don't have enough juice to do both," right? He chose coaching. Well, and I th- and the thing is with with the Joe Gibbs situation, like you know. He, being a 62-year-old guy at that point, yeah. and he's not going to want to stick around for one or even just two years. He's going to be 65, 66 right. by the time he can leave. You know, So it, it seems a little unlikely to me just because of, you know, the guy could have a heart attack, you know, within that time, you know. Well, I think the issue is it's easier to bring a personnel guy in or, up, you know, promote a personnel guy than it is to find a good coach. And, you know, if you still got the energy to coach, but you can't do both, you know, if it's me, I take coaching over, you know, administration. You want to be on the field. You want to be doing what you've done, done your whole life. But when it comes down to it, I don't think he's a bad GM. Right. But all this is moot if uh, Martz hangs around, because what is what is a West Coast offense guy know about hiring people for Martz's offense? Right. Like, I, I don't see that happening well, anyway. But, but when you're a football guy, ostensibly you should know football. And I think, you know, Mike Nolan notwithstanding, Mike Holmgren, you know, when it comes down to it, is a football guy, and he's smarter than just some West Coast system coach. I think that's a a very good point. I also, a lot of what Martz does, there's a lot of staples in there from the West Coast, too. That's one of the things that makes him such a threat. It's you you don't know which attack he's going to throw at you because he's got that blend. Mm-hmm. So that and, and Holmgren's respect for Martz to begin with might be a good standing point and his relationship, obviously, with McLuhan. It, it, it would make for a happy family, I think. Oh, I'd love it. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I just have a hard time. It just seems too perfect, perfect world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, could you imagine Holmgren, you know, Martz, the team as we have it with JTO being being great, you know, uh, potentially Vernon Davis breaking out this season. Uh, if our offensive line holds up, it would just be like, I mean, what could what what could be the problem with this with this young, fresh lineup? You know, it's just it's hard to believe that things would go that well after this many years of having problems. You know, mm-hmm. well, if you're looking for problems, we could point to the special teams. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, they had a blocked punt. Yes, Manny Lawson had exactly. a blocked punt. <laughs> who was the, who's number 54? Is that green or who is that? Oh, I, I have to check my stats. I hate being quizzed like that. Whoever it is, Lawson comes in just blows by the guy and nails the punter. And whoever number 54 was, as soon as he hears that thump, he turns around and looks the other way. <laughs> and the ball just bounces right past him behind him and he's... He, he doesn't see anything until the guy's breaking down the field past him. If he had faced the other way, that's a turnover right there. He would have had it. But uh, it's just one of those things. You just, why are you turning around the other way? It's not like you're chasing down the guy. <laughs> well, maybe he was afraid he'd step his finger on the ball or something. Uh, 54 being Roderick Green, just there, for yeah. uh, clarification. There you go. It's Green. See, I knew it. <laughs> Good news is he still has more play time and sacks than TBC. <laughs> Yay. But <laughs> TBC yeah. who complained about his play time last week and did not make the field this week. 
who won't be on the team next year. <laughs> who may not be on the team next year. week. Yeah. <laughs> he may not be there for Detroit. I, I think I well, no, I think he was one of those guys that they signed that, that had one of those deals that he they lose money essentially. You know what I mean? They're gonna be paying a whole bunch of money anyway, they might as well keep him on there. Yeah. I mean if if, if Ahmed Brooks isn't making it on the field, then Tully Vantacane probably won't. You know, I I just don't see Tully Vantacane being that great. I they, never saw the pass rush. You know, when you're playing on the Patriots, it skews a lot of things. Especially you know? when you're not a starter on the Patriots. Right. <laughs> I mean, I've right. never heard his go, name. Who's this guy? What is? He? Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, it says New England there. He must be good. Yeah. Yeah, when he's playing for Belichick. Well, here's the here's yeah. the telling special team stat, and this this is the problem. You, you have the Seahawks, the the punter. I don't, I don't know his name. I don't care. Uh, four punts, twenty nine point three yard average. The net average is 24.3. So that's a return average of five yards for our team. Not bad. Oh, no. It's great. Here, here's Andy Lee. Four punts, average 46 yards a kick. Net punting average is 29.8. Yeah, I would say special teams coverage needs a little bit of work. I don't know what happened. Do, do they need to put Jeff Ulbrich back on special teams? I, I don't get it. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they I do. Really, I really think it's that simple. Like, like honestly... You have uh, Kesey, who was playing, played like almost every special team snap where he was active last yeah, year. Yeah. Right? And then you had M Rob, and then you have Ulbrich. And uh, now you have Kesey playing in regular downs, so he's winded. You have Ulbrich not playing, and you just have M Rob, who just came off an injury. Mm. I think this makes sense. Yeah. You know? Uh, I would say, just on a hunch here, maybe let Ulbrich play special teams and Manny Lawson play defense. Well, they... Hmm, yeah. <laughs> you're starting to make sense. L-O-L. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, just a shot in the dark there. Yeah, just throwing something out there, seeing if it sticks. You're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, special teams, though, I mean, getting back to Andy Lee, his, his kicking is not quite as strong as it was last year and last year he was probably a little bit closer to 50 yards on average um, but what I've noticed more not so much the the distance on the kick but the hang time he doesn't have quite as much hang time and I think that's also affecting the uh, the return the, the coverage teams because they're they're not able to get down to the field get downfield quite as quickly and the ball's coming in a little bit quicker and it's a bad combination yeah. Does that does that strike you as a, a situation where he's getting a little bit of heat, so he's kicking the ball faster, or is this just Andy Lee not in his prime anymore? It was the, was last year the Pro Bowl year his prime, well, or or is he seeing people coming in his face? Our biggest problem, I think, is coverage. I don't think Andy Lee is is having a problem as much as our coverage unit is having a problem. Right, but w- w- let's not talk about actual actual yardage. Let's talk about the hang time he puts on the ball, and I, I doubt that I doubt we can dig up a stat on that. But uh, you know, if he, if the ball's getting downfield in three and a half or four seconds instead of four and a half or five seconds, yeah, that's that's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, it's going to affect the coverage. And again, I think that comes back to the fact that you have Kesey playing. You know, I mean, he's actually on the field a lot. I mean, he's not, he doesn't, you know, I mean, fullback's not always out there, but. Mm-hmm. One of the things you got to think Al Everest is going to be saying, you know, considering our coverage team is, is having a problem, that, you know, maybe Andy needs to get the ball up 
a little higher, you know, maybe sacrifice some distance for the sake of, you know, some fair catches out there on the part of the other team. That would be a start, and it would <laughs> certainly help the, the net return average. I think that would be the first thing to do. You know, uh, um, Nick brought up the, uh, you know, the enigma that is Vernon Davis. Um, I did not see the play where Vernon supposedly did not lay out for the ball. Uh, was it even catchable? It, it it's a tough one. Um, I I've watched the play over a couple times. I'm I'm not convinced that it's as bad as some people are making it out to be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I was a little bit disappointed that he didn't show up in the game at all. Yeah. Well, you know, but that that's mitigated by the fact that Johnson and Bruce and Battle got you know got plenty of catches out there. Um, yeah. I, and I we kept him into block for a good portion of the second half of the game. Yeah, and I think that's one thing Nolan has right, is that sometimes, you know, the personality or whatever of the game, you know, it, basically you you take what the defense gives you. And if the defense takes away Vernon Davis, you know, it's not bad to throw the ball to Isaac Bruce. Speaking of Bruce, how, how about that uh, run where he looks up at the Jumbotron to cover the ball as he's heading towards the end zone and is tackled from behind? It, it, that, to me, was the epitome of a veteran receiver taking advantage of absolutely all of his experience. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Like, that was that was exciting. That I mean, he knew he was going to be caught, you know? And he well, and that's the thing is that he had to. Do you think he had the thought before he looked at the jumbotron? Where is this guy who's behind me? Or you know, probably. Cause, <laughs> you think so? I, I, th- I think so. I, I think it was a. I think he he knows his speed. I, I was a little bit sad to see him being caught from behind yeah. because I remember yeah. how quick he was <laughs> playing for the Rams. Right. Well, that's why I asked. Yeah, because so, he was. Yeah. <laughs> I think he he probably felt it coming a little bit and thought, yeah, screen's there. Let's look up, cover the ball. <laughs> well, it, when you're running down the field, it, you know it's kind of easy to see it up there, so uh, it probably attracted his eye. But I mean, that's that's just something that shows you know a guy who's making use of all the all the all the environment, you know, <laughs> just using the tools at his disposal. If you have to cheat a little bit, then. <laughs> How long it. do you think if if he has one of those lights out seasons? How long do you think he stays with the Niners? He signed. How long was his deal? It's a it's a year, right? It's a two year, same as Mark's. Two year, yeah. It's two years, Mark. Yeah, I I, th- I think two two or three years is is pretty reasonable from him. I, I envision him retiring as a Forty Nine er. Of course, I don't know where he'll actually retire. He may sign with the Rams again, mm-hmm. but uh, well, uh, I, I I wouldn't be hurt if he did. <laughs> no, I, I mean it. By all means, that's where he won his Super Bowls. Well, now, if we win a couple Super Bowls, we yeah. <laughs> well, you know when he goes, I, when he goes in the hall, he's going in as a Ram. So, right. Well, and and the thing is, people were kind of questioning his mileage, like how much how much he's got left in the tank. And and after, I mean, I don't know how many receivers did better than he did this week, but uh, I'd say after this, like unless this was a total enigma, a, a total you know, then he's got at least another season left, if not two. Yeah, you know. Well, yeah. it, he had a. It was it, it, it was a two year six million contract that he signed with us. Mm. So, so he's making okay. a lot more than J T O Sullivan is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, one other guy. Not. Who, 
he didn't do better than Bruce did in average, but he had more catches in a score was Brian Johnson. And I was saying from the beginning, you know, Brian Johnson will be fine. I think once he gets out there, you know, he really looked a whole lot better than he did last week. He just looked like he was always in the right spot. And on the catches that I saw, his hands just look absolutely magnetic. Yeah, his hands looked like uh, like Battle's hands almost. And there were two two quick slants that he caught, which I thought was absolutely, I mean, vintage West Coast offense in terms of the timing. Mm-hmm. And uh, showed just great hands, great poise. He got off the line so strong, was open sort of immediately, and the ball was right on time. It, they yeah. were like the touchdown pass? That was one of them, absolutely. And, and that... And there, that brings up O'Sullivan's, you know, just, I don't know, I, I got to say it, his insane accuracy when <laughs> when he's when he's in the timing. You know, he just, boom, it's right there, right between the two guys. I mean, it's out of his hand, it's in Johnson's hand, it's a score. You know, it's you don't even have time. The play-by-play guy doesn't even have time to call it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, that was, uh, he's got arm strength. And he's, you know, we said, well, he looks a little bit like Garcia. He does, but he's got way more arm strength, and he sets his feet so, uh, you know, those really? are two things we were hoping we would get out of Garcia at some well, point. He doesn't, he, O'Sullivan doesn't throw off his back foot like Garcia sometimes, and Favre, of course, but he, he doesn't really lean into it either sometimes. He just kind of, like on the, the play to Bruce in overtime, you know, he drops back, he just sort of stands erect and pops it out there. And it, it's one of those, you know, the corner didn't even know what was coming. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, and the ball was just, it, I mean, it was almost a thing of beauty. The timing Garcia of used it, to be in the, the air half the time. Do what? You know, jump, Garcia used to be up in the air half the time. Because <laughs> he couldn't see over the line. line. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, on the on the Johnson thing, on that in, I don't know how you defend that without putting two guys on him, one guy right on the line to cut that route. You know, that, mm-hmm. that could be season long. Yeah, and we need something that will pick up two yards on a fourth and one, third and one, you know, on the on the goal line, we need something that can pick up two yards because we don't have that power inside run game. Yeah, and the, and the other thing you, that we've missed on the outside is a guy as big as he is, six three two eleven. I mean, we we need a guy who can just get his body in front of somebody and make a possession catch. You know, biggest game day player since To. <laughs> we haven't had somebody that big since To. No joke. Well, Looked it up. And then, of course, we were all hoping Vernon Davis or Delaney Walker or could could materialize into something like that as well, because they have the hands, even if they're not a receiver technically. Uh, they could be used on a play like that too, but well, that that hasn't happened yet. That's the other the, the other genius of the offensive scheme, and and I don't feel like there's any problem saying that uh, <laughs> is um, <laughs> you know the defense they dared O'Sullivan to throw because he's an unknown commodity. And, you know, they took away kind of that power running game. You know, they said, you know, we're going to make you throw on us because we know Frank Gore is still a stud and we don't know anything about this O'Sullivan guy. And they flat burned him. (laughs) (laughs) That they did. And, you know, watching Bruce run the roots was was actually really interesting in the offense because not only was he where the ball was supposed to be, when the ball wasn't quite where it was supposed to be, he was running back into the ball. And, I mean, JTO throws a really, really hard ball. To catch it running back into the ball, that's that takes a lot of skill. 
It really does. The 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 thing that got gets me is that JTO in the game had ten yards of pass. We were we were everybody was 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 oohing and on the the week before, you know, when he had when he had his his nine point eight, and it keeps going up. You know, mm-hmm. it, this is uh, this well, is what I wonder is that that's per completion. <laughs> what? That's per per completion, but it's still enormous. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, and a very far cry from where it was. The well, the thing about JTO is that he seems to be improving at a, a pretty quick pace, and at some point you you've got to yes. believe it'll level off, or he might take a step big time backwards before moving forward. It, yeah. Tends to happen. One of the things I uh, thought I thought Alex Smith was the kind of guy to take you know learn something, move forward with it. But O'Sullivan just seems to put it in action a lot faster. You know, when you take the Packer game compared to the Bears game, and that's almost the exact same situation you have between the Arizona game and the Seattle game. It's also yep. at home on the road. You know, you see him like in the Raider game made terrible decisions, but then he's playing against the Packers and makes a couple bad decisions, and then at the end of his run. You see him start to really get it, and Absolutely. you know that's the thing. He made no—he didn't make any bonehead plays, and in fact, on his scramble that he got the first down on, he actually tucked the ball, which I had never seen him do. So he's taking exact—he's—he's he's going in the film room. He's seeing what he's doing wrong, and he's moving forward, and that's a huge, huge deal. Yeah, I mean, he—he he dropped back too far and was running like twenty yards backwards in the first half and you know, by the second half that was corrected and he he would either stand up in the pocket and take the sack or he'd be running to his side to to evade the pressure. And that that shows again he can he can learn during the game. He's not you know, he doesn't right. even need to go back and take a week and figure it out. Right. And this is this is an interesting statistic. If you if you think about it, he's had eight passes for twenty plus yards. Okay. In the NFL right now, Philip Rivers has nine. Tony Romo has nine. John Kitna has eight. He's number four with eight, right? Mm-hmm. Philip Rivers has only been sacked twice. Yeah. Tony Romo hasn't been sacked at all. <laughs> John Kitna has been sacked eight times, and JT has been sacked twelve times. Yeah. Ouch. Okay. So he's hanging back there, knowing that he's only thrown it eight times deep. Okay, really, mm-hmm. and twelve twelve times he's been sacked. You know, think about it. When he holds onto the ball, he gets nailed. Right, really, twelve times in two games, and it's, it's that's a really abysmal stat. It's really not. It's not the Mike Mark scheme, though. Everybody wants to point to that, but it really just is a lack of line consistency. Yeah, it, it's definitely on the line. And if Vernon Davis doesn't start catching passes, you're going to see him lining up and helping to block because he is a considerably good blocker, and uh, maybe he earns his stripes that way. Staley, I mean, people, people talk about you know players who need to step up or or or, or shut up yeah but i mean staley has been been really the cause of a lot of this if you look at it i mean if, if we're going to assume that the fumbles in the first game were on staley and that well you know what was it three of this three or four of the sacks in the second game were on staley this this is not looking good i mean for as well as jto is playing he's playing very poorly you know, this isn't even like just mediocre. This is this is very poorly. He's 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 letting his quarterback get killed, hmm. and he's and he's causing fumbles. No, I so have, is I haven't it, seen any of it. So, so is any of it? Do you guys think that he's a JTO is a different quarterback than Alex Smith? They knew where Smith was going to be on every play, 
and just sort of the, a bit more of the improv is what is. No. I, I, sorry to interrupt, but I, honestly, I think, you know, Staley, it's the right tackle, left tackle thing. I, I think there's a, a certain learning curve that comes with that, that he's just trying to get acclimated to making that step left. And you can see Jonas Jennings starting to have a problem, you know, had a little problem playing the right tackle. Um, but at the same time, you know, they're blocking mostly for, well, I, I say mostly, Alex played, what, six games last year? Um, right. You know, Dilfer and Hill. You know, Hill didn't hold on the ball so much. Dilfer, you know, would, would go three steps and fall over. So uh, <laughs> it wasn't like he had to block that long. You're, you're giving him too much credit oh, here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one, one last player. Let's talk about Gore a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, we can touch on Willis had eight tackles. Clements had seven tackles. You know, the big-name defensive guys that were on the field uh, actually stepped up and did something. But um, Frank Gore, how did you guys think he did? I think uh, he, he got his share of touches. Certainly, my, I'm, I'm constantly puzzled by how we use him because uh, I see us run it inside and run it inside, and he's running into his offensive line. The fumble was because he ran into Heitman. Um, and, you know, when we finally do pitch it outside to him and he has a bit of space, he, he picks up some yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I thought he had an okay game, and I think he'll have a better game the more the receivers materialize, obviously. But when you put eight, nine guys in the box, and you have an offensive line that spends you know half the day letting guys run by them, mm-hmm. it's going to be a tough, tough outing for him. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to worry about this too much until I mean, he's he's in the first game he averaged what six point nine yards a carry, right? Three point two in the second game. Which brings him to about five, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his career average is four point nine. He's doing what he does, you yeah. know. He's he is Frank Gore. You give it, you give him the ball more. He's going to end up with more yards, and he's going to break one for forty three. Right. You yeah. know, he's because th- this is the thing is he's always been the type of guy who you give it to him twelve times and he's got forty yards, right? And then on one play he runs for forty, sixty, seventy yards. <laughs> and that's how his average is built. He, he he's not one of those guys that really truly averages five yards a carry. He average he goes three, two, twenty. You know, yeah. that's Very who true. Frank is. So I'm not I'm not going to worry about it um, in, until his average dips down, because that means he's not getting the ball enough. Yeah. And, and he had about a hundred combined yards. I think it was ninety nine combined 99 yards. yards. So mm-hmm. was, yeah, nine, nineteen yeah. carries for sixty one yards is about a three yard average. But um, you know, really talk about taking what the defense gives you you know he was second on the team with five catches and mm-hmm. you know that's a big deal when when you can't run the ball with him you throw him the ball um kind of like roger craig in that regard uh, but really i think frank is the kind of guy it doesn't matter what the defense gives you he has the talent and ability to run outside to run inside to you know run out there and catch the ball <laughs> Right, and granted, he only has what nine receptions in the season, but he's averaging ten yards a reception. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, it's pretty much guaranteed. You throw the ball to him, he's going to get you either that first down or mm-hmm. close enough to it so that you stay competitive. For well, it. and that's the same thing Roger Craig did. You know, to bring him up again, it, when he caught the ball, he usually had plenty of space to move. 
And the right. guys know how to move in open space. And, you know, picking up the, the second and one, second and two, third and one, third and two is definitely a lot easier than the third and four or third and five scenario. Right. Makes a big difference. And I think we're going to, you know, I, we've been talking about last week's game for, for a lot longer than I know we planned, but it, it's, it's been a good time. As we look ahead to next week, um, I think Gore could have a really big week because we've had some receivers start to materialize. We've had a passing game start to come together. All of a sudden you go, okay, are we going to take away the run or are we going to take away the pass? And if they start taking away the pass, uh, you know, you start putting six or seven guys in the box and <laughs> and Gore is going to have a field day. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think with this next week's game, I think one of the things that JTO has proven is that even when he gets sacked, what, eight times, he performs. So you're not exactly going to rattle him by pass rushing, mm-hmm. you know? And this is the thing, that that's, that, that makes Gore's game a lot easier because if, if you know that you can, you can pass rush this guy all day and he's still going to throw ac- accurate passes, then you have draws that open up, you have, you know, screens that open up. Uh, I just, I don't see anything in the playbook that the Lions, that, that, that uh, Martz has to particularly be afraid of against the Lions. And, and I also think that it's going to be interesting to see Martz go back and, and see what he pulls out of his back pocket because he's going to want to win. He's going to want to show everybody out there uh, just, just what they're missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Lions. I mean, their defense is crap. Let's let's just lay it out there. Their defense is horrible, and you know they. I forget where I read it. I thought it was Mayoko, but it apparently wasn't. I've been trying to look it up, but um, I, I think it was, was the the SFO. You know, the Scout. dot com. Yeah, that's the the first paragraph. Mike Martz must be loving this. The Lions fired him as their offensive coordinator after last season, largely because he didn't run the ball. He said he didn't run the ball because the Lions weren't in games. And lo and behold, in each of their first two games without March, the Lions have spotted their opponents 21 nothing leads and have had to play from behind. <laughs> and, and, and that's just it. They have no defense to speak of. And I don't really care who their running back is. If the offensive line can't open holes for you, you know, they might have some success against the Niners, actually. But, <laughs> you know, I just think when it comes down to it, Mike March is going to out-scheme the Lions. You know, Green Bay put up 24 points on him in the, just the fourth quarter alone. Some of that was turnovers, and, and I think the defense better be aggressive because, you know, Kitna really doesn't have hardly any mobility, and he doesn't really have an arm to speak of. And uh, I just think that they're going to be out-schemed, and, and I think the 49ers are going to win this one walk, uh, running away. If we get spotted 21 points, I really do think that Nolan is going to put 11 defensive backs on the field. <laughs> he might. That's exactly right. And then the Lions will catch up because you have Calvin Johnson, who's like, what, eight feet tall, you know, and he runs a 4-140. But, I mean, the Lions, the Lions are the second to last in, uh, in yards per game. It's 460 yards mm-hmm. a game. That's what people are averaging on him. And and they've had eighty two points scored in two weeks on them. <laughs> if we can't, I mean, if we can't put up twenty five to, I mean, thirty five points on these guys, hey, I mean, then we really actually have something to worry about. If, you know, if we can put thirty three on the Seahawks. I don't think there's any problem putting that, you know, that much at least on the Lions. But the, that's that's going to be the real question mark 
for that offense. If they can't put pressure on Kitna, then I'm afraid Calvin Johnson might just burn us a few times. But you know, I'm I'm hoping that what Nolan said was true that they did it because it was the Seahawks and because of the way they like to sub and all that. You know, it it wasn't normal. <laughs> he he hasn't done that before. So, except apparently against Seattle every time. I don't I don't. Know. <laughs> It, you know, I, I don't think we should be taking quite everything away from Kitna either. I, I've watched him considerably. My brother is a Bengals fan, and I've been watching him, mm-hmm. you know, since since he came in there. He, the guy is really good at running a no-huddle offense. The guy is really good at finding his receivers. He has a good understanding of the game, probably one of the better understandings that, uh, of the quarterbacks out there these days. Mm-hmm. We can't sit back and just and play playing old defense we need that aggressive style we need that sub in sub out we need the pressure coming from the different angles uh if we do what we did against seattle we're we're in trouble right yeah and i don't i don't mean to say the kitten is not a good quarterback he is you know he's a certified pro bowler uh and you know and this one of my best friends is also a bengals fan he lives in cincinnati and he you know he will be the first to tell you that kitten really doesn't have a rocket arm but it, it is his intelligence. Now, the thing that plays in our favor is that Kitna likes to take risks with the ball. He, he is a high interception ratio guy. Yep. I, I tend to agree with that. And, uh, you know, when you've got our defensive backfield there, there's going to be opportunity there. But but I really hope yeah. to see more of what we saw against Green Bay. I'm sorry, Nick, to, to trample on you again. But, um, you know, what we saw in Green Bay, guys moving all over the place and Ray McDonald, you know, getting in the backfield. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of Paris Harrelson too, and yeah, that that would be a good makeup. Well, and he played great against Arizona too. So <laughs> <laughs> the stats to back that up, he's got four touchdowns on the season, Kitna, and four interceptions. But interesting thing, while J.T. O'Sullivan, as we were talking about a second ago, has been sacked twelve times this season, mm-hmm. John Kitna has been sacked eight times this season. Okay, he's been sacked a lot too. So a little bit of pressure might go a long way in this game. Okay. In that, you know, only three quarterbacks. Oh, actually, this is the funny thing: J.T. O'Sullivan, Mark Bolger, uh, David Garrard, and John Kitna. Um, two of those guys are in the NFC West. Gotta love that. And Matt Hasselback is number five, actually. Now that I'm just looking at it, it's the NFC West is just out to kill their quarterbacks. You know, <laughs> got it. Um, so a little bit of pressure. This guy throws a lot of picks. I mean, granted, he's a Pro Bowler, but I mean. Yeah. He's used to that Mike Hart system where you just let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was taken down fifty-four times last year. I think it was somewhere, somewhere in that number. So that's well, a lot of. What did we give up? Fifty-five. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it, it, I, I mean, we were one and two between us and them. I, I think we were fifty-five, fifty-six, somewhere in there. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, that that just goes to show there there's opportunity here, and I think a lot of it, you know. Uh, a lot of 49er fans out there, myself included, we were coming off um, a win in which uh, I don't think we've seen the likes of in in, in many years, obviously. But we want to see the consistency, and mm. you know, this is a week where it's not a great team, it's not a horrible team either. Um, as much fun as we're poking at them, and I think this this would be an absolutely pivotal pivotal game for us just to make sure that the consistency is there we actually have a quarterback a group of receivers who can make plays uh without this win i think it makes 
the next couple games significantly harder in terms of what they're going to be seeing on film and how they can take advantage of us. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a watershed moment. You know, what can this offense do with a defense that's not, you know, really one of the better ones? And can they stop kind of a high, what's known as a high octane passing attack? And it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see because the next week after that they have Matt Castle, which I'm glad it's not Tom Brady, because we might actually be able to eke that one out if they can, you know, get pressure on Castle, because Castle, you know, made it clear last week, or this previous week, that, you know, he's not going to be taking a lot of chances either. He's not going to gun the ball downfield a lot. I'm sorry, we're going to win that game against New England. This is going to be one of the storylines that week. I'm telling you, we're going to win that game against New England. Because this is the game that they're going to be confident that they can win. No. Well, there's there's an opportunity there. I also think you know New England is not built to play conservative football. That's not what they were built around. And suddenly they have a quarterback who they have to play a lot more conservatively around. Mm-hmm. So how how long is it going to be before you know a certain receiver decides eh, I want the ball a little bit more? Yeah. Definitely want to thank Indiana Jim and uh, DC Niner, also known as Nick. Uh, definitely check us out uh, every week, 49ersParadise.com, and we'll try and record the podcast as regularly as we can. Uh, whether it's uh, your first, second, or third string quarterback, we'll, we'll do our best to get, uh, get a worthwhile show out to all of you. And, of course, your feedback through the uh, 49ers Blitz blog at 49ersParadise is always appreciated. Thank you all for tuning in.